Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. My name is Isaac Schaefer. I'm a member of the, the teaching team and the leadership team. Uh, I am not the pastor of this church. We don't actually have a lead pastor. So the good news for you is that if you don't like what you ha- what uh, I have to say today or what you hear, first of all, check your heart because like 50% of it is scripture. So that's on you. Um, and secondly, if you don't like what I have to say, come back next week because it's not going to be me. It'll be somebody else. So you can give it another shot. But uh, anyway, so yeah, so this week we are starting our first week in our series, Militant Hope. Um, and, and this is so premature, but it's uh, old hymns just have a very special place in my heart, and that's ultimately where I'm going, and I just can't quite contain it anymore, but I just have to say the words. My hope is built on nothing less. Nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly rest on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground, everything else is sinking sand. Everything. You see, hope is one of the primary threads that is woven throughout the entirety of the Bible. Literally, the only part of the Bible that uh, is not pregnant with hope is Genesis 1 through 3. Like, and there's, you can even weave hope into that, too, because it's like, that's, like, that's in the future. Like Genesis 1 and 2 is like what we're coming back to kind of in the future. But everything else from Genesis 4 until Revelation 22 Hope is one of the primary threads that is woven throughout the entire Bible. And so I would encourage you, as you dig into the Bible today, if you don't have a Bible, we have one for you. Talk to us. Go back out to the foyer after we're done or right now and go get one. It's on us. And you can have 10 of them if we have 10. We probably do. I don't know why we wouldn't. But so I would encourage you, as you are going through your study, your personal study, your quiet time, This week, wherever you're at, I guarantee you, you will come across the passage that in some way, shape, or form is linked to hope. Because as soon as Genesis 3, as soon as we get past Genesis 3 and the world has fallen, the rest of the story of the Bible is about God's plan and his redemption and his victory and his freedom that we might not quite see yet, but is coming. And I'm getting ahead of myself again, but that is kind of the nature of hope. And so buckle up, I'm going to start in Genesis 4, and we'll see how long it takes us to get to Revelation 22. And we'll go from there. Like I said, if you don't like today, you can come back next week. They probably won't preach through most of the Bible. But I'm kidding. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll dive in. Uh, Father, we just just thank you for today. Thank you for... um, Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your plan. Even when it feels like our world is shaky or rocky or difficult or uncertain, there is a firm foundation. There is a rock that we can stand on. 
So God, thank you for that. God, this morning, would you just enlighten our eyes? Give us an eternal perspective. Give us a hope that is an anchor for our souls. God, I pray that you would just speak through me and that your word would not return void. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're starting our series, Militant Hope. And this is ultimately the idea that that hope, real biblical hope, in and of itself is powerful, it is missional, and hope is a spiritual weapon that brings light to the darkest places. And frankly, second to love, I believe that hope is one of the most powerful forces for the expansion of the kingdom. Hope is not passive. Hope is expansive. I want you to imagine in your mind for a second. This is going to sound weird, but I promise it. it, it uh, I'm going somewhere with it. Imagine in your mind early to mid-2000s antidepressant commercials. Especially, I believe I remember one where there's like this little animated like white blob or something that's like going down a path. Yeah, it, it was for Zoloft. There you go. So at the beginning of the commercial, before they take the pill, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything positive or negative about antidepressants, but the, you'll, you'll get what I'm trying to say. So before they take the pill, everything's kind of gray washed, Right. All the color saturations are like super low. For, for the like image editing people in the room, did I use that term properly? Taylor, Lauren, she's still in here. Anybody else? Can anybody give me confirmation that I said that right? Okay, thank you, Ryan. So like all the color saturations are super low. Everything is gray, gray, gray washed. Everything is bleh, right? And then they take the pill and everything is vibrant and bright not just happy, but everything is alive. And if I remember right in the commercial with the little white blob for Zoloft or whatever, like they take the pill and then it's like this, this spreading of light and, and vibrance and hope and light and life. That is what hope is like. Hope is actually militant. Hope is a weapon. Hope, in, hope awakens the eyes and the mind and the spirit to see our present life through an eternal perspective. And who in here knows that for those who love Jesus, eternity is looking pretty great, right? And so when we as Christians live in real biblical hope, ultimately the manifestation of that hope in our life should be obvious. And whenever there is an obvious manifestation of the gospel, that is a weapon against the darkness. And that's an oasis for people that are lost. Whenever there's an, an obvious manifestation of the gospel, and one of those manifestations is hope, it's a weapon against the darkness. And it's a way, an oasis to the lost and the weary. That is why hope is not passive. Hope is militant. Hope is active. And ultimately, this is what our world needs right now, isn't it? I think one of the greatest things that the entire world, and especially my generation, is lacking is hope. And some people have such a lack of hope that through their own decisions or either through the works of the enemy, they are entrenched in despair and depression and anxiety. They are unsure and they are self-focused, which is even worse than selfish. 
Selfish just means I, 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 I want things for myself. Self-focused means that my entire worldview is centered around who I am and it should cater to who I am. And that's a problem. It's even more destructive than selfishness. See, when you have no hope, when you have no anchor, when you have no foundations, and I'm not even talking about spiritual foundations, even foundations of reality, when you have no foundation of gender or the nuclear family or real relationships that aren't on a screen, when we break those down, you have no foundations for anything and you have nothing to stand on. And ultimately what that does is it creates this worldview that is built on a house of cards. There is no strength in it. And so if, if your entire worldview, just think about this for a second, if your entire worldview is built on this house of cards, you're going to be very sensitive about any attack against that house of cards, correct? Because even the slightest wind of reality will just blow the whole thing up. And before you think I'm talking just about some, you know, woke Gen Z, you know, I need my safe place person. I'm also talking about you sitting here in this chair because if I were to really dig down inside your heart, there's probably part of your heart that is not built on the rock. There's a couple cards that are there in the wall. And most likely where those cards are is the place where you get bristly the fastest. And so I'm not just talking about you know, the little weakling that, you know, us in the older generation, I'm only 31, but, you know, you look down at those people like, they, like they're not tough. They have no, they have no, you know, whatever. They have no strength. Anything disrupts them. Guess what? There's something in your life, too, that is just as disruptable as that because you have chosen to build that part of your life and your worldview, not on the rock, but with some cards. So. And the reason why we protect those places that are built on cards so much is because even the slightest bump against reality disrupts it and displaces it. That's why you get bristly when somebody starts blowing around on those places that are built on cards. See, these things by nature require a lack of hope or at least a misplaced hope. And part of the power of the gospel is rooted in hope, real biblical hope. And so this idea of militant hope is that if we as Christians are able to display real biblical hope, if we are to manifest the power of the gospel through hope, that the darkness will be pushed back and the lost will experience the light. 1 Peter 1, 13, sorry, 1 Peter 1, 3, 14 through 16 says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, even if you should suffer, you will be blessed. What a thing to hope in. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Even if you should suffer, if you are actually living in real biblical hope, be prepared for people to notice that you are reacting to that life-disrupting event much differently than anybody else would. And be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Hope is militant. Hope should be obvious. Hope is not passive. 
It is a weapon against the darkness because people will see the light in the midst of that hope and they will be drawn to their savior. And so what ultimately is biblical hope? There are two words in the ancient Hebrew language that are translated as hope. They are yahal and kava. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to break down kava and also because it's a little bit more pregnant with meaning. So kava is built on the root of kav, and kav means cord. And so the idea of kava is that when you pull a cord tight, there is tension. And that tension builds until ultimately the cord breaks and that tension is released. And kava is that state of waiting and tension for the release. That's kava. That is the ancient Hebrew way to describe hope. And so there's this waiting and anticipation for the inevitable release. It's the image of a pregnant woman waiting for her baby to be born. That's kava. It's the image of a farmer who plants seeds and who watches the sun shine on his fields and the rainfall on his fields, and he is kava'in for the harvest. So these are the two words used in ancient Hebrew, and, and, and sometimes they just mean wait. Like Noah, Noah yahaled, Noah waited for the floodwaters to recede. Or, or like I said, a farmer waits for the crops to grow. He waits for the yield. But many times, and actually most times in the Bible, when yahal or kava is used, it means to wait for the release of God's redemption. To wait for the release of his salvation, his victory, his kingdom, for the release of his power to rescue his people from oppression and from sin. That's most often where kava and yahal are used in the Old Testament. And so ultimately, Kava and Yahal are in the majority based on a person. They're based on Yahweh. They are anchored in his unchanging character and the promises of God that he has never failed to fulfill. That is what Kava is based on. It's because I know the character of my God and that his promises are always yes and amen despite this oppression that I may be going through, despite the struggle of sin that I may be going through, I will kava for the Lord because there will be a release of his power and his victory and his redemption. The unchanging character of God and his eternal faithfulness to fulfill his promises are the foundation of hope especially in the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, the word that the New Testament writers decided to use for hope is elpis. And ultimately what elpis means, there are different words they could have used in the Greek, but they chose elpis for a very specific reason, and it's this, and you'll probably understand why. Elpis means an expectation for what is sure. That's the New Testament word for hope, El peace. And again, this hope is based on a person. In the New Testament, that person is Jesus. So much like Kava and Yahal in the New Testament, El peace is anchored in a person. It's anchored in Jesus. And it's a bold anticipation that humanity and all of creation will one day be redeemed. They will experience the release of that tension. They will be redeemed from death and decay. It's an expectation for what is sure. El peace, hope, 
is an anchor for our souls. It's an expectation for what is sure. It's a waiting for the inevitable release of God's redemption and his rescue. And so when life becomes unstable or unknown or difficult, when the person that you love leaves you, when the person that you love dies, when you get fired from your job, when your finances are unstable, when your child is sick, there is a hope that is an anchor for your soul, that one day all broken things will be made new and all those who love the Lord will be brought into his kingdom for their inheritance. Real biblical hope is an anchor for the soul. Hebrews 6, 11 through 19 says, and we desire that each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope, the full assurance of El Peace, the full assurance of the expectation for what is sure. That's a lot of sureness. <laughs> to show the same earnestness, to have a full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish. Hope is not passive, hope is active. You may not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no, greater, no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. And so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. Remember, hope is built on the character of God. It is unchangeable, and every promise is yes and amen. And so when God desired more convincingly to show the heirs, more to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, his word. And so by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the peace set before us. That we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. Is there anyone in here this morning that needs strong encouragement? It is based on a hope. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where the presence of God is. Our hope is anchored in the presence of God. This is militant hope. That we who have fled for refuge might have encouragement. And tell me that the world is not seeking refuge and encouragement right now. They're just trying to find it in the wrong places. They're trying to find it in instability. And frankly, it's not stability. It's a lack of disruption of my house of cards. But there's a real hope. There's a real anchor for the soul. There's a real place of refuge and encouragement. And that is with Yahweh. That is with Jesus. See, biblical hope is a weapon. It is militant against the darkness. 
because it shines a light into the, into the darkness and pushes it back. And as it is shining into the darkness, it's also calling those who are lost and in despair in the dark to come to the light. Hope is militant. It beckons the hopeless to come and rest and be restored. Isaiah 40, 31, but they who wait, those who kavah, those who wait for the release of the redemption, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And they shall mount up on wings like eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and never faint. And so what are some things that we can have biblical hope in? First Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, no heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. What an anchor for your soul. That God has something prepared for you that you cannot even imagine. Ephesians 1, 16 through 21. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering it, you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. You see, the God who, the God that you hope in, his name is far above every name, not just in the future, not just in your ultimate destiny when all things will be made new, but as Rochelle was talking about, he is the name above every name now, right now. There is hope that you can have now. There is rest that you can have now. You can wait patiently in anxious anticipation for the release of God's redemption and his glory and all things broken will be made new. He is the name above every other name, not, in, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Kept in heaven for you. That which you are hoping for. The destiny that you have as a son or daughter of the king is kept in heaven for you. And it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. 
fading. What a beautiful anchor for your soul. Revelation 21.7. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Who would like a new heaven and a new earth? Like this one's pretty cool. It's pretty great. But it's also broken. Uh, I, I believe all the youth knows about the brokenness of this world because they were just out in, in the presence and the beauty of creation, and yet somehow it still bit them in the butt, per se. Dad jokes for days. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be any sea in heaven. The sea is, is chaos imagery. It means that there will be no more chaos, no more uncertainty in heaven. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. What an anchor for our souls. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What an anchor for our souls. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And to the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. What an anchor for our souls. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. What does it mean to conquer? Why was it important that God said that? Let me ask that question in a different way. What happens when our present reality is not a reflection of the culmination of our heavenly hope? What happens when our present reality is not a reflection of the culmination of our heavenly hope? It sounds like something that might need to be conquered, does it not? Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What a steadfast and sure anchor for our souls. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in suffering. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope, el peace, the expectation for what is sure does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
el peace, the expectation for what is sure. That hope does not put to shame because it's not anchored in you. It's not anchored in this broken world. It is, anch- it is anchored in the unchanging one, the one who always fulfills his promises, who word never returns void. What a steadfast anchor for our souls. That even in the midst of suffering, we can have hope. And we can endure. And we can conquer. To the one who conquers, he will have this heritage. Hebrews 10. 19 through 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure Water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast to hope, for he who promised is faithful. Why is that important? Skip down to verse 32. But recall the former days when you were enlightened, when you already knew God, when when you were part of his family. And even during that time, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one, one that cannot be stolen, one that cannot be defiled, one that will not perish. For you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised so that you have you have need for endurance so that you can conquer and when you have conquered for those who conquer they will have this heritage see the Bible acknowledges that some things and frankly many things on this earth won't seem to be in alignment with our ultimate hope, right? Who feels the weight of that today? (laughs) That there are some things in your life that are not currently in alignment with your ultimate hope, that are still broken, where there is still pain physically, emotionally, spiritually. And we can even hope for good things. 
Things like being accepted and not being persecuted, right? It's a good thing to hope for. We can hope for a spouse. We can hope for that relationship to be reconciled, that bitterness to leave. We can hope for that emotional healing or that physical healing on this side of heaven. And let me encourage you this morning, we serve a God who loves to give good gifts to his children. He delights to show us his love through miracles, through favor, and through provision. But he also loves to bump his children up against the broken things of this world. See, on this side of heaven, our lot is not comfort. We are to be comforted. We are not supposed to be comfortable. We are not to be comfortable. Comforted, yes, not comfortable. Why? Why didn't God just kind of arrange reality in such a way where as soon as you follow him, everything is good? You are wealthy, you are healthy, you are wise, and everything works in your favor. Wouldn't that draw people to himself? Maybe. But in our brokenness, most of us would not be drawn to him. We would be drawn to his gifts. We would be drawn to the favor, not to the person. Listen, favor is coming. Do not get me wrong. Favor is coming and in more abundance than you could ever imagine. But while you are still broken and while the world is still broken, God cannot give you all of his favor and abundance now because you can't handle it. And so rather than us being comfortable and healthy all the time and everything is hunky-dory, God likes to bump his children up against the realities of this world, the broken things of this world, because it's a more powerful display of his glory when his people overcome, endure, and conquer with joy. That is a much more powerful display of who God is. Because ultimately what that says is it's a beacon for the lost that says Jesus can take your junk, Jesus can take your mess, and the gospel can bear the harshest of realities and never crumble. And so even in the midst of pain and even in the midst of suffering, you can have joy, you can have hope, you can have strength, you can endure, you can conquer. See, when we are anchored in our ultimate hope, we have perseverance and strength to endure whatever may come until our ultimate hope is realized. So how do we do that? It's not by our own strength. And this is the part where I got ahead of myself at the beginning of the message. Hebrews 7, 18 through 19. And then we're going to hit verses 22 and 25 after that as well. Hebrews 7. For on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness 
and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope, a better El Peace, a better expectation for what is sure is introduced, through which we draw near to God. A better hope is introduced, and it's through that hope, it's through that expectation for what is sure that we draw near to God. And we're going to skip down to verse 25. So I want to tie these two parts of this passage together to give you an understanding of how exactly you can endure. Verse 25, consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the, other, to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, and through that hope, we draw near to God. And he who is our hope is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. You see, Jesus is our hope. That hope that we draw near to God through in verse 19 is the same person of Jesus through whom we draw near in verse 25. See, Jesus is the anchor of your hope. He is your hope itself. And your hope always lives to make intercession for you. Jesus is your hope. And so whenever your hope is wavering, your real hope holds fast. And he is always making intercession for you. This is how we have militant hope. Because we have a king and a kingdom and promises that can never be shaken. The antidote for despair and depression and purposelessness is a militant hope. It's a hope that is anchored in the person of Jesus that holds fast behind the veil. When we are anchored in militant hope, we have the endurance to wait, to contend, and to conquer, to mount up on wings like eagles, and never grow weary, and never faint. So I want to give you a chance to respond. Is there something that you have lost hope for? Because you've been trying to hope on your own strength. Is there something that you've lost hope for? Bring it before the Lord. Ask him to restore your hope. Restore the joy of your salvation. Ask him to open your eyes to have an eternal perspective that as you are in kava, as you are waiting for the release of God's glory and his redemption 
Ask him to give you a vision of that glory and redemption. Ask him for more strength to endure in that hope. Maybe you're scared to have the light of hope shine on you. Maybe you've built this house of cards or maybe there's a portion of this life that you have built that's on a house of cards and um, whenever the light shines, the truth is revealed. And so maybe you're afraid of that. Maybe you have things to hide. Maybe you've built this cards and you, this house of cards and you don't want it to be disrupted. So let me encourage you with this. Bringing things into the light can feel like you're being torn apart. Can literally feel like you're being torn in two. But wherever there is more, more perception of pain, wherever there is the perception of shame, grace abounds all the more. That perceived pain and shame is actually your freedom. It's a place where you release bondage. It's a, it's a place where you release the weight, not take on more. Because at the cross, Jesus took it on his shoulders. So if you lay it at the cross, it might right now it might feel like a burden. It might feel like being ripped in half, but it's because that weight is being ripped off of you so that you could be lighter and free and place it at the feet of Jesus. And so maybe you need to meet Jesus for the first time. Maybe your life... is built on a house of cards. Or maybe you know Jesus and, and he's identified to you this morning that, that, yeah, some of it's built on the rock. But this wall over here, or this hole that was created because somebody hurt you and rather than, rather than repairing that hole with, with the truth of who God is and letting him do do real work on that wall, you decided to put some cards in there. And so I would just encourage you as the band plays another song to bring that before the Lord. You can come to the altar. You can do it in your seat. I would encourage you to come here because when you move your body, it's moving your soul too. So maybe there's something that you just need to have renewed hope in. If that's you, I would, again, I would encourage you to come to the front. We would like to anoint you as a prophetic declaration that the Lord is anointing you with new hope this morning. And I also just want to pray this blessing over you as you respond. It's from Romans 15, 13. So may the God of hope, may the God 
of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Spirit, not by your strength, not by your understanding, not by an optimistic viewpoint, but by the power of the Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for these people. God, may we hope in you. God, show us the parts of our lives where we have built them on a house of cards and not on the rock that is Jesus. So God, right now I pray over this room wherever there is despair, would you shine the light of your hope on that person right now, on that situation right now. In Jesus' name. Wherever there is depression, wherever there is a need for, for reconciliation, wherever there is emotional baggage or hurt or bitterness, God, I just ask that by the power of the Spirit that the God of hope would fill them with hope. God, I pray for freedom this morning. I bless these people with strength and endurance and an understanding that their hope is anchored on the unchanging and ever-faithful Yahweh. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I will not trust the sweetest frame, but I will wholly rest on Jesus' name. Just go ahead and start to respond now if the Lord is calling you to the front. Come and lay your burdens down at his feet because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And yes, it might feel painful or shameful, but that's actually your freedom. as you lay it before him, as, as, you, as you ask for the Lord to anoint you with hope, he will pour out his peace. He will pour out his strength. He will pour out his love so that you can endure. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
in believing that right now, by the power of the Spirit, you may abound in hope. We love you, Jesus.